So now, Rip, would you like to come up? Uh, this is Rip Wahlberg. Rip pastors a vineyard church in Lancaster. Did I say that right? It's Lancaster? Yep. Yeah, it's not Lancaster. <laughs> I learned that this year when I was up there. It's Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, for, what, about eight or nine years, I think you said? Uh, about seven and a half. Seven and a half years. Okay. Um, Rip is also a member of the uh, spiritual renewal team that is uh, within the vineyard sort of nationally. And this team's purpose really was to, uh, in a manner of speaking, redig the wells uh, of our heritage because you know, the vineyard was birthed out of a real move of the Holy Spirit. And for a variety of reasons, we sort of drifted, I think, in some cases away from that. I know when... Uh, when Phil Urena was here uh, at the end of August last year, he and I were talking and he essentially said that any vineyard that sort of came into existence after about 1998 was generally ill-equipped to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I found that sort of interesting, but it really was because a lot of that had stopped being emphasized, had stopped being passed on, had stopped being taught. Uh, and so there were pastors that were coming up and really kind of were ignorant in many respects of the vineyard's heritage. And so part of the directive, I think, of the Holy or the Spirit renew, spiritual renewal team is to sort of bring that back, to help encourage churches to uh, redig those wells uh, and to have more of uh, the Holy Spirit presence in our services and so uh, that was why we had Phil come and you know ask Rip to come and so we're going to try to do this periodically just as to kind of continue to move in that direction um, and so uh, I'd like to pray for you and then we'll, we'll, we'll turn it over to you so Father I, I thank you for my brother Rip I thank you for his willingness to, uh, to get up early and to drive here on a Sunday morning and to be with us all day. So Father, I just pray your blessing upon him. I pray for strength. I pray for uh, your spirit to be all over him, that you would guide him in what he is to share. Just bless him, Father, and bless those of us who will, will hear. Let us take to heart exactly uh, what you would have us all to, to get from this. So we give you thanks and praise, and we offer this up now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm actually not going to need this one. So um, good to be with you all, and uh, nice to share with you on a Sunday morning, um, a little over... A year and a half ago now, we actually went to Saturday nights, and so it actually works very nice for me to be able to, you know, we actually canceled church last night because we got about a tenth of an inch of ice, sheet of ice just across everything, so, um, but usually it'd be just have our service and then I can come and do this, and it's really wonderful. Uh, so it's nice to be with you. Um, I am going to share with you this morning out of Daniel 2, so you're welcome to turn there if you have a Bible. Um, you can be praying for me as I'm doing this. I thought I had this message on my iPad and realized that I don't, so um, I was going to be, I was kind of tweaking it in my head on the way down here anyway, so hopefully that part's fresher and, you know, the iPad may or may not have been a help anyway. So um, I, the main thing I'd like is just clarity of, of mind and thought and to see what it is that God's forming in this message and, and that it would be delivered in a way that really is beneficial and that is proclaiming the kingdom of God. Um, so Daniel 2. Actually, let me get there as well. I love this this, uh, I don't know what you would call it, doesn't seem to me to be a podium, but a nice stand. Really, really cool, um, I think. Let 
Sorry, I'm taking, I should have bookmarked it myself. Um, <clears throat> well, I'm getting there. Who knew Ezekiel was that long? <laughs> um, <laughs> Daniel 2. All right. Let's just read this passage for a moment. This is going to be our anchor passage. It's going to be what I'm going to unpack, um, but we will read it and then we'll kind of walk through some of it. So Daniel 2. Starting in verse 31, says this, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of, of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image of its, on its feet and, uh, of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron and the clay, the bronze and the silver, the gold, all together were broken in pieces and, because like the chaff, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell you. Now we will tell the king the interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hands he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks into pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all things. And you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron. It shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed in the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break into pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron and bronze and the clay and the silver and gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. My wife and I uh, seem to come from Let's say we approach ministry from, I'll call it two different poles. And as I say this, understand that I love my wife dearly. I'm not trying to speak poorly of her. It's just, it exemplifies the struggle that in one way or the other, we all go through that I want to talk with you about today. What I want to talk to you about today is this idea that the kingdom of God in any capacity, wherever we are in life, whether we are a follower of Jesus, we profess him as Lord, or whether we would even call ourselves an atheist. No matter where we are, this idea that the kingdom of God actually does not share space, it calls us to something uh, that we're going to talk about today. So my wife and I come at ministry, let's say, sort of from two different angles. I would not say she's resistant in the sense of... Um, completely antagonistic, although she probably started there and has slowly been finding her way to yielding to the idea of how do I do this thing called ministry when I feel ill-equipped and incapable of doing it. Now, I come at it from the other standpoint that would say, I want to give my whole self to this. There's nothing else in my life that I'd rather do. 
I do other things to provide for ourselves, but there's nothing in my life that I would rather do. I'm okay if it consumes me. And yet then you have this thing of, well, you can't lose your family, you know, you can't. And there's that whole thing. And there is, correctly, there is a tension between this this dynamic. But I have been also in our time in ministry now, in an official capacity, I've started to see something at work. It's this idea that's kind of crept into the church. I don't know exactly from when it started, but it seems to have picked up pace. This idea that I'll go to church, but don't ask me for much more. I'll go to church, but you know what? Monday through Saturday, that's my time. So... Love you. <laughs> Bless you. Um, I, so, <laughs> just not used to that. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. It's really cool. So, and there's this idea that, you know what, that this concept of compartmentalizing our time. And I find that it it really doesn't work because what happens is if you picked up already in this passage and what we're going to talk about, there's a tension that happens that this over here, I'm going to try to protect it. I'll give you my time here, but the other stuff I'm going to try to protect. Do you know that the Bible says to that? He who wants to uh, save his life will lose it. I'm going to try to protect this over here. But the Bible actually says that's impossible. Because if you're going to try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake and for the gospel is going to find it. We, find, we hear that through this lens. If you've been in the church and a follower of Jesus for an extended period of time, you've probably become familiar with that scripture right there and someone would teach it like this. Well, that has an eternal perspective. You give your life up for Jesus. You, you, um, you give your life to him, and eventually you go to heaven when you die. That's that dynamic that they talk about. That's kind of the paradigm from which they preach that message. I grew up with that kind of lens and thinking. But what I want to talk with you about today is the idea, what I call that the kingdom of God does not share space. If we give our whole life to it, we actually find what the, I'll call it, the evangelical streams of the church call um, integrity and calling. And the, the more, you may hear, revival or renewal streams of the church, they call it destiny. Then in the language is all about finding your destiny, God's destiny for you. But these things really are talking about the same thing. We've tried to compartmentalize our lives in order to don't infringe on my family time. Don't infringe on my personal time. Don't infringe on my, you know, if I have a, um, a house in the mountains or a house on the, on the, uh, at the beach, don't infringe on that time. But instead, the calling of the kingdom of God in every respect is one that cannot share space with anything else. And what I want to um, share with you is to share with you the, the um, difference between the dogmatic and the, uh, what my friend calls the phenomenological. I'll describe that in a minute. I want to share that with you and then also unpack this dynamic from the scripture and others of how it is that we see that the kingdom of God doesn't share space and, that, and what it is to live our life in an integrated fashion instead. The, the centrality of the kingdom that is willing to say, Jesus is Lord. And then I'm going to finish by asking you about your own life and the dynamics that you find because really what this is about is getting rid of idolatry in our life. So let's start. What's happened right here where we pick this passage up is um, 
how would you like to be in these shoes? Daniel is one of um, King Nebuchadnezzar's many prophets and part of his whole court and whatnot. And most of people in a, uh, that even get into any kind of administration, or a lot of them can be what we call yes people. Oh, king, live forever. Oh, you're the greatest. And we saw that you can see this in various places. And we know that there's, there's that, you know, tell you what you want to hear kind of thing. Well, that was going on. And the king said, if you all can't tell me not just the meaning of the dream, but the dream itself, then you're all dead. I'm going to kill the lot of you. So this comes to Daniel, and he goes to the king's messenger who brings this to all the prophets. And he says, okay, can you give us a couple days? Can you give me just a couple days? Okay, I'll see if I can work that out. Somehow it works out. Daniel comes. He seeks the Lord for a couple days. He comes under this pressure to prophesy to the king and tells him not just the interpretation but, so, but he tells him the dream itself. Now, that's pressure. I, you know, we, today we kind of go up and, and say, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Be blessed. And that's a prophetic word. Like, that one kind of separates the men from the boys, if you will, right? So this is where we pick up this passage. And Daniel says, this is the dream. You saw... This statue that we read through, it had a head of bronze, it had a torso of silver, mid or sorry, gold, silver, bronze, and then iron, and then iron and clay were the feet, right? And he described what that meant to some degree. He gave the interpretation, and then eventually he gave the application, what was going to happen. So <clears throat> what we find in this is, if you've heard this message preached in a dogmatic way, it might have sounded, if you have, um, I'll say some longevity in church history, uh, grew up in the church and whatnot, the dogmatic sense is the doctrinal sense, that, that theological side that says, well, so you've got this this uh, future telling stuff of when when eventually Jesus is going to return, and there's these 70 weeks of Daniel that get correlated with this statue. And, and eventually, the whole rapture idea for some streams of the church comes into this. But there's this 70th week of Daniel and this tribulation time that the newly created Roman Empire and, and all this stuff is going to happen. But really, that's not what this passage is saying, first of all. What it's telling us is precisely when the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ in the incarnation was going to come. Not the exact moment and hour, but the generalized time frame in the period of history. And what we find is that it's saying, during the Roman Empire, there's going to be, and the rock that was cut out, it says, by no human hand, is a depiction of the incarnation of Jesus Christ that was going to come where not by completely natural birth, but in sent by the God of heaven, sent incarnationally, sent supernaturally, born of a woman, but of the Holy Spirit, right? And he's telling us exactly when this, this other kingdom is going to come. And what it does is it says this we think again of Jesus' teachings as all about righteousness, how to be good, how to basically please God so that he'll accept us. When Jesus' teaching was all about the kingdom of God is like, how to, how to experience the kingdom of God now and get tastes of the future now. And so Jesus was teaching about the kingdom of God. Uh, God gives Daniel an image of this that talks about kingdoms and says there will be a kingdom that will come. So the dogmatic sense is the one that I'm just telling you right now. 
But then you have what my friend calls the phenomenological. I barely know what that word means. So, exactly. Ology is the study of whatever, and okay, what's phenomenal, you know. Well, whatever. what I'm trying to say is, what does this look like, and what do we take away from this? How do we interpret this in what I call, he says phenomenological, I say in 3D living color. Because we look at the Bible here, and it's in black and white in two dimensions. It's on my paper. And we read through it really quick. But what does it look like with texture, with color, with 3D, when it jumps out? When, what would that have been in real life? What is this in real life? That's what my friend says when he says phenomenological. So, what does it look like? This is the primary thing that I want to focus on today with all of us, is we see that this rock, at the time that it comes, that was cut out by, it says, no human hand. We see that this rock was cut out, and it was small. And it was thrown, it was cast against the feet of iron and clay, the Roman Empire. And it broke it all apart. And it, then it says it grew to become or fill the whole earth. The Bible says that at one point in the fulfillment of all things, that when God's presence comes and dwells, it will fill and cover the earth. It will be all in all like the waters cover the sea. The presence of God will be so full among us like it was at the first temple with Solomon as described in the Bible that it'll be like we're breathing the heavy air of the weight of God in our midst. So, here are two characteristics that I see in this passage that lead us to this idea of, of um, living an integrated life, a, a Jesus-centered life, where we don't compartmentalize stuff out. First of all, the kingdom of God is the least impressive, but it is the most dominant. A rock compared to gold, silver, even bronze much less iron. It might look better than clay, I get it. However, you know, let's go with the idea of what I'm sharing. A rock, I did this in our church and I had a rock. It was a red rock and I, my, my kids, um, I get them, uh, for their birthdays, I get them dirt. <laughs> yeah. But the thing with the dirt is I get them dirt because in the dirt has um, gemstones from a mine. So I figure this is going to be cool to get my kids dirt and they can sift out the dirt and find the unfinished, unpolished um, gemstones, rubies, emerald. I mean, it's not like the amazing emerald, but it's, it's fun. They love it, right? And one day, hopefully sometime in this year, we're going to make, we're going to take some of those and get them cut up and make my wife uh, a mother's ring which she asked for and begged for for years, right? Um, so anyway, I'm just a little slow out of the gate usually. <laughs> so uh, my son got a ruby that was about that big. Most of it's not that big, trust me. But happened to be, it was about that big. In its raw state, this ruby looked just like the red stones you would get in the bags from Lowe's or Home Depot to put in your guard uh, as mulch, right? It looked just the same. Now, one of them has no value. The other had great value or more value. This, you know, it was, again, uh, but comparatively, you wouldn't know the difference until you, until you start to be able to see the attributes of the kingdom of God that set it apart, that have value in our life. Folks, guess what? This is what the world is rejecting and they don't realize it. Why do we sit and be afraid of people rejecting the message of God? They simply don't understand it. That's what our job is. What do we care if they're li how they're living their life? They're just not understanding the value of God. They're not understanding the nuances 
of even why we gather weekly, do you know that it just looks foolish to them? But who cares? Let's go love them anyway, right? So it's the one characteristic is that it is... Um, it is the least impressive on face value, but in its real value, once we become familiar with it, we would never throw it away, which is one of the parables Jesus told us about. The other characteristic that I see in this passage is the rocks cut out, cast against the statue, and then it obliterates the statue, meaning it's, it just, it's powerful. And and after that, it grows and says it consumes the whole earth. Nothing can stand in its way. So the kingdom of God consumes everything that stands in its way that does not represent itself. And it grows and consumes. It, it, there's two ways to think about this. <clears throat> One is that it grows and consumes everything and it dominates everything. That is where, <clears throat> excuse me, I get the phrase that I have, the kingdom of God does not share space. And we see this dynamic that happens even in our own life. The other way to look at it though, is it's very much, Jesus kind of continues this thought into the New Testament when he does the teaching about the, the fig tree. Jesus carries this same idea forward in his time during his ministry when he says, you know what, the kingdom of God is like a fig tree that, or a, sorry, a mustard seed, not the fig tree. Man, I'm mixing my metaphors. It's like the mustard seed that's the least impressive seed. It's the smallest, looks like it couldn't accomplish much, but when it's planted after it's given time, it grows, and as it grows, it spreads its branches so that all, it says, all the birds of the earth come and find their rest in its branches. It becomes the largest tree in all the birds of the earth. It is a depiction of the, the consuming greatness of the kingdom of God invading our world to restore all that God had originally planned. And God doesn't want to leave anybody out. God wants everyone to come find rest in his presence. So, those are the two ways that you can look at, and both of them will be acceptable. One seems somewhat negative, it doesn't share space. The other one seems somewhat positive, like come find rest in Jesus. You know. So both are applicable because in order to get the one, we have to shed the other. This is what I mean. Well, let me, let me go back and talk real for a moment about within the idea of the kingdom of God not sharing space. I was listening to a... Um, an audio message, I've listened to this message many times now, but it's an audio message by Oz Guinness. And he gave it at the C.S. Lewis Institute. And it's from his book. Has anyone read his book or familiar with his book, The Call? It's all about, it's similar to Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, in concept. It's about finding God's call on your life and living from it. So in order to respond to the calling of the kingdom of God, we, we can try to compartmentalize ourselves and our lives. Like I said, this is a tension that my wife and I have had. How much do you dedicate to the church and how much do you, you know, not? Because God forbid our family suffered. No, and I don't want my family to suffer, right? So it's a tension that we live with, but for the sake of maintaining our middle class lifestyle and all various other things, the things that we have, the stuff that we have, whatever, for the sake of maintaining that, there are times when we, have, we live as if we are compartmentalized and that draws our mind into this idea of churches inside the walls, but not outside the walls. So in his message, uh, uh, Os Guinness cited a, a, an, a, an Egyptian Muslim radical who said um, he was apparently, uh, not Saddam Hussein, um, Osama bin Laden's favorite writer, favorite author. His name was Saeed 
Ketub, or however you say that. So in a book that he wrote, this man lived in the United States and went to college in Colorado in the 1940s. Think about this for a second. In the 1940s, he made this observation of the American church. He said, the church is chronically schizophrenic. In the 40s. Take that, con- take that same concept, fast forward it into, I think it was the 80s or 90s, and it seemed like when it was in, the church was kind of in the heyday um, of renewal and a lot of good stuff, and they did an evaluation of the church in the greater California, LA kind of area, Orange County area. And they said, the church is private, how did it, sorry, this is where, you know, whether it was written down or from memory. Um, the church is privately nuts. I was memorizing this on the way down. I'm sorry. Uh, basically saying privately relevant, publicly irrelevant. That, that'll get the job done. The second half was, especially on the key of publicly irrelevant. Have you noticed lately the world is very disinterested in our message? They're extremely, they're even, not only in our message, they're even more disinterested in our marketing. We're publicly irrelevant. But we're schizophrenic. What they were talking about was, you know what? If we are to live according to what the kingdom of God even describes right here, we need to live our life with an integration. Now, integration has meant often uh, be good and do the right thing when no one's looking. Again, that's very much a a works righteousness mindset to to the Bible and to Christian life. Integration has, or integrity carries with the concept of integration. Not only am I the same when I'm alone as when I'm with someone, but I don't compartmentalize my life. So here's another way of saying it. Um, I told you how Oz Guinness is talking about integration, okay? Uh, Bill Johnson, if you're familiar with Bethel Church out in Redding, California, he tells a story this way. He said when he went to a John Wimber conference, John Wimber was the, found, the, the charismatic founder of the Vineyard Churches, and uh, he went to a, a Wimber conference many years ago while Wimber was alive, and He's, and he got touched by the Holy Spirit because uh, Wimber was preaching from the paradigm of the kingdom of God. And he had all kinds of signs and wonders following his ministry, just like Mark, the, the book of Mark and everywhere else Jesus promised. So, so Bill got touched, if you listen to his testimony, and he went back to his church in Weaverville and he said, they started seeing the same stuff happen. Fast forward like nine years after that, and the, the Toronto, what they call the Toronto blessing hit, you know, came and God was moving there. And so Bill was going to go to Toronto and see what was going on. Uh, because at the time, renewal kind of has this mindset among people that it's like a well that you have to go to. And I hope that mindset begins to change in time. Not to be pejorative to it, just kind of citing something. But so Bill was going to go, and he was going to, and he he had noticed that all the stuff that was going on in the immediate aftermath had stopped at their church. And he said, on his way out to Toronto from California, he said, God, if you will touch me again, I promise I will never change the subject. Now, Why do you think God is blessing Bethel Church? Because they've understood their call. They've been willing to integrate, which is also to be willing to say yes to the best stuff for them according to God's purposes for them 
which means you also say no to stuff that is not, it's good, but it's not your best. It's not what'll get us, it's not integrated, right? So they've allowed integration. Now, but, but how Bill says it is when he came back, stuff started happening again. <clears throat> and it wasn't just because God decided to bless him because God decided to play favorites that day. It was because he was beginning to live from the centrality of Jesus is Lord. So, and what happened was, Bill says it like this. We had tried to take the whole ministry of the Holy Spirit in that case and plug it into our pot, add it to what we were doing. Now, the problem is this. The Holy Spirit is the, whatever you want to call it, the administrator, the, the representative presence of the kingdom of God presently on the earth. The kingdom of God doesn't share space. You can't compartmentalize how you live your life, how we, how we do church, or anything else, and just add the Holy Spirit to it like it's a piece of the pie. The kingdom of God is the whole pie. And we then are called to orient our lives around it. When we orient our life, see, the reason we compartmentalize is because we're trying to save our life because we're afraid I'll lose something. I'll run out of time. I won't do something well. Something else will suffer. But if we would instead integrate our life, then we just be and live and manifest and demonstrate and release the kingdom of God wherever we go in whatever we're doing when the moments are when the kairos moments happen all we do is cooperate with god this is the way jesus lived his life now mike breen if you're familiar is uh, with his name is a um is a leader in the missional church movement where um and and mike says it this way they tried, in his family, they tried to do what they called uh, family and mission. Do you see the problem already? Family and mission. That would be like me in our life saying, well, we got family and we got church. One is family, the other is focused toward the responsibility. And, oh no, don't let the responsibility become, you know, an adulterous affair where you lose your family. That's the kind of the big concept that we're all afraid of. What Mike and his wife discovered is instead of family and mission, let's just do family on mission. And they integrated themselves so that, you know what, they had people over people they were discipling, people they were training, people they were teaching could just watch their lives while they were just doing normal life. Nothing had to be separated. In, see, there's that secular, another way that it's said in the evangelical world is secular and sacred. The divide between secular and sacred. We need an integration. So how does this show up in our own lives? How many of you have ever said, come Lord Jesus? <laughs> have you ever said, come Lord Jesus? Okay, first of all, how does it show up in our life? We need to be able to say this whole idea of whether you want to call it the kingdom of God doesn't share space, whether you want to call it a life of integration, or what Bill Johnson described as, um, uh, you know, adding a piece of the, to the pie, or whether you want to say what Mike Breen says, a family on mission, integration calls us to live a life unto the lordship of Jesus Christ alone and orient everything of our lives around his lordship. That means he's the center So we can't just add the Holy Spirit to what we're doing. It has to just kind of flow naturally. Let him have his way. 
whenever and wherever. Now, he'll cooperate with us in, in, in let's say, relative order. He's not just chaotic. But learning to live our lives, whether it's in the church, outside the church, wherever we are, from a place of integration, family on mission. My wife and I were out um, having dinner, and this was some months ago, and um, kind of asked the Lord, well, Lord, what, do you want to say anything to our waitress? And I'm just sitting, waiting, 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 and, and all of a sudden I got this word for her. Now, I have no idea if it's right. You all do that? Okay. You have no idea if it's right. But when she came back and I asked her, I said, so if I, if I thought I had a word from God for you, would you want to hear it? She said, sure. She does not know Jesus. She doesn't love him. She doesn't call him Lord. She doesn't, you know, the other way to say this is she doesn't go to church. Okay. Forget that for now. The way in is the way on anyway. But see, so I said, well, here's the word. You've had a rough upbringing. You've been hurt many times in your life. And what you're look, you have a rough exterior, but inside you long for people to know you personally and to appreciate the softness of who you are inside. And you don't feel that way. You've been looking for the answer to this for many years. And I'm here to tell you tonight that Jesus wants you to know that he is your answer. When you're ready for him, he's ready for you. My wife subsequently gave her another word. And in the middle of the restaurant, which was a very high-end restaurant, it was a treat for us, very high-end restaurant, and it was mainly cleared out, but there was three or four other tables. This waitress says to us, can I give you a hug? And got up from the, or came around to each side and gave us a hug. I probably should have said, do you want to know him now? But like I said, sometimes I'm probably slow out of the gate. So because that was a Kairos moment happening. That was a God moment ready to proclaim the gospel to her. It was like half the gospel was proclaimed, the other half needed to be just offered. But this is how the Christian is called to live our lives. Instead of being frustrated by, this is my work time, this is my church time, this is my family time, this is my downtime because it doesn't share space. It's an unworkable dynamic. How many of you have ever said Jesus is Lord? We need to live our lives around the concept that the word for Lord in the New Testament is kurios. It means master, owner of everything. Here's the, here's the application for us. If God, if anywhere in our life that we would say you cannot have access, he is not Lord. And if he's not Lord of everything in our life, we cannot lie to ourselves. He is not Lord of anything. Let's stop lying to ourselves then. What could you not give up if he asked you to do it? What does he not have access to in your life right now that you know of or that if he asked you, let the Holy Spirit of God come on you. It's just resting on you. Let it come. What if he asked you for it, would you have a hard time giving up? Would it be food? Would it be a relationship? some other substance, a child? What could you not give up if he asked you? Mark, let him come on you too. It's just resting on you. Don't worry about it. Let it come. The reason God invades our life is not to rob something from us. He invades our life to set us free from the things that hold us back. F from what? 
our purposes, our calling, our destiny as various streams of the church of God express it. The reason he invades our life is to set us free. We believe the lie from hell, from Satan in our life that says God wants to harm you by taking this from you. God is invading. Do you understand the picture of idolatry is anything that is at the center of your life that, that God cannot have access to? And the church has all the tools at its disposal to dislodge those idols because they are not stronger than Jesus. If we believe the lie, then it is. But if we do not believe the lie about that, we will see the truth. We will experience and encounter the truth. But it's about saying Jesus is Lord. Any place that he does not have access to, he is not Lord. Can we stop lying to ourselves and maybe to one another that we've given everything to God? Because maybe once we can start saying that, we'll actually be much more effective at letting him get, you know, that we get free. Because guess what? The way that we testify is by telling our story of freedom. But if we're lying to ourselves, we do not have a testimony worth proclaiming. But if we will accept it and acknowledge the lordship of Jesus, let him work on our life. We will have a testimony that will show up. People will know that it is actually real and it is, it'll end up being worth sharing because it will have impact for other people. They'll know when the change is real. What time do we have till in an official sense? Uh, could the worship team come up and just um, in a few moments just kind of begin playing just quietly? It'd be great. The rest of you want to stand? Would you mind standing? <laughs> Some of you, if you've been hearing this morning, if you've heard words of accusation, understand that that is the enemy speaking. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. The Holy Spirit brings conviction for our freedom for, to accomplish the good purposes of God for our, on our behalf. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. If you've been feeling inadequate about something, that's the voice of Satan. We need to begin to hear. You're having this class on hearing the voice of God so that, you can, so that we can really clearly distinguish who the real enemy is. We only have one enemy, and God is not it. But if you've been feeling conviction, as crazy as it may sound, we actually want to bless that. Has anybody been having pain, some kind of restriction back here on this side of your neck? On the, on the back right side of your neck? Tightness? Anything that's just not right there? You? Okay. Has anyone been having... It's either, it's either real physical chest pain... Or you've been under some stress where you've been, ha like, you're feeling the, the uh, you've even been encountering in your chest, because it's with your chest, a weight on your chest, the pressure of life. I think it might be work-related, um, where 
you're, you're actually having trouble breathing. It feels like anxiety attacks or, you know, almost like between anxiety and panic attack kind of a thing. Um, and it weighs heavily on your chest. Does anybody have that? Would that be okay to ask that to you guys? The reason we're asking is because, when, I'm sorry, was that, did you raise your hand? Okay. All right. To give you a little context, if you're new in the church here, um, the reason we would ask that is because to not know something legit, but express it, and if it lands, as we call it, the God's desire is that through that, it builds, it builds faith in the room, that God's here. How could this person know it? God actually wants to do something. So there's no show, there's no plans, there's no dog and pony show of any kind. It's just very, what, uh, you have it on your board out there, naturally supernatural. Would you guys mind, would, it, would you be able to come forward? And um, would a couple, you guys, you have some prayer team? Why don't we just have that? If a couple, how, however you administrate the prayer team, if they just come up or they know they're on schedule or whatever. Um, but why don't we have who's ever like on today for prayer come up to pray over these folks as well. <clears throat> Lastly, if you have, um, if the message has spoken to you in such a way that you're saying, yes, I either want to give you everything and I've been resisting that or if God's been putting his finger on a very specific area of your life, you don't have, we're not calling things out like that. But if you want to respond to that, to say yes to the Lord as a prophetic act of, of surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, can I invite you to come forward and we'll just bless you and lay hands on you um, and minister to whatever you would like in that regard. So why don't we have that time now? Anybody that wants to come forward. <clears throat> 